It's Tuesday, May 23rd. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got one special brief for you this morning that's shaping America and the world. Get out your maps, folks, because we are off to the North and South Pacific Ocean this morning for a special focus on our battle for the Pacific. Right? That's the fight between China and the United States for influence and supremacy amongst the 14 island nations that make up that region that is often called Oceania. And it's those 14 nations, folks, that we are going to talk about this morning because they met yesterday in the country of Papua New Guinea, often called PNG. Well, those countries got together in PNG to sign some critical deals and meet with some pretty important key global leaders. Well, except for one, and that is Joe Biden. Now, he was supposed to be there. He promised folks that he would be. And had he shown up, that would have been a big deal because he would have been the first U.S. leader ever to visit PNG. In fact, it was such a big deal that the leaders of that country declared a national holiday. But Mr. Biden was not there. He canceled his attendance so that he could deal with the U.S. debt ceiling crisis back in Washington, D.C. Well, that cancellation, at least according to the prime minister of the Cook Islands, left many leaders feeling pretty disappointed. So this morning, we are going to talk about the fallout from that decision, plus a look at each of these 14 island nations and where they fall this morning in either supporting the United States or China. Because if war with Beijing should ever come, having friends in Oceania amongst these 14 nations will be critical, just like it was back in World War II. And that, of course, would affect all of us, especially if our young people were drafted into service. So let's get to this special brief of the day, ladies and gentlemen, and let's get out those maps. Well, they could be in our minds, on our phones, it doesn't matter. And let's turn our attention to the island nation of Papua New Guinea, or PNG, right? It sits just north of Australia. And again, we're going to start here because PNG just hosted these 14 island nations yesterday. Now, normally when they meet, they discuss general issues like, you know, economic development or environmental concerns. But this year, the most pressing concern, at least arguably, is how they are going to manage their relationships with either or both China and the United States. Well, when we look at PNG over the past 20 years, they have been, well, drifting towards China and away from the U.S. In fact, away from other Western countries, too, like Germany, the U.K., and Australia, all of whom, by the way, governed the PNG for different periods over the last couple of hundred years. So if you're wondering how China has been able to do this to pull PNG away, well, the answer is kind of simple. Money. Beijing has signed major trade deals involving, well, PNG's gas. Uh, They've got a bunch of minerals and timber. So in all, it's about $3.5 billion in trade annually. But I'll tell you, the real leverage that China enjoys with PNG is actually through debt. Right, PNG owes Beijing around $500 million for infrastructure projects that, well, at the time, PNG said nobody else would fund. And that's actually a theme that you are going to hear a lot this morning. China uses something called debt trap diplomacy with both these island Pacific nations and other poor nations all around the world. Right, And, and here's how that works. 
So Beijing lends lots of money to desperately poor countries, knowing full well that they can never pay it back. And then when these countries naturally default, China demands all sorts of concessions to renegotiate this debt. Like, for instance, Beijing will take ownership of things like ports and landing strips and fishing rights and mines. And I suspect that the leaders of PNG, well, they probably know that. And that is why they are looking to rebalance things this morning with a renewed friendship with the United States. So just yesterday, PNG leaders signed a deal with Joe Biden's Secretary of State that is going to offer PNG a little bit of aid, around $45 million plus, more importantly, frankly, a defense and maritime agreement, right? And that allows the U.S. Coast Guard to partner with PNG officials to patrol their pretty vast Pacific waters, most especially to prevent illegal fishing, mostly from Chinese fishermen. We'll come back to that later. Now, meanwhile, our friends in Australia, they're doing their part to pull PNG back towards them and away from China. The Aussies are updating the Lobrum Naval Base on one of PNG's islands, which, as some of my uh, history buffs might remember, that was used by U.S. forces back in World War II. All right, so as we kick off our look this morning at these 14 island nations and try to determine which side they're picking, whether it be the U.S. or China, well, I think it's pretty fair to say that PNG, at least as of this moment, is a bit of a toss-up, at least for now. Which means that it is, uh, well, it's a real shame that Biden didn't show up, especially given the fact that they declared a national holiday. All right, let's move on from PNG. And if we look at our maps, let's move due east from that country. And as we do, we are going to run smack into the Solomon Islands. So over the past couple of years, the president of that country, he's got a last name of Sogovare, he has decided to switch his allegiance from the United States to China. Now, officially, he proclaims that he's neutral, like most of these island countries. But in reality, he has absolutely picked a side, and it's Beijing. So to refresh our memories on this guy and this country. So Sogovare signed a secret deal with Beijing over a year ago now, giving China access to his ports, maybe even giving them a dedicated naval base. He's also given Beijing exclusive access to an airstrip. All right, so what do the Solomon Islands get in return? Well, officially, China offers them police training and has installed some updated telephone and internet systems, and, and that's all great. But there's also this. Reuters News Service has reported that Mr. Sogovare gets about 2.4 million bucks each year and a slush fund that Mr. Sogovare can get, well, from the Chinese and use for whatever he'd like. No strings attached. So, folks, if we're looking at our scoreboard of China versus America, at least in this region so far, fortunately, we've got to chalk up a victory for China on this one because the Solomons, ladies and gentlemen, is firmly in Beijing's camp, at least for now. All right, we're not going to move from the Solomons. We're going to head southeast to an island chain known as Vanuatu. And I'll tell you, if you look up pictures of this country, it's gorgeous, Right? It's got 65 inhabited islands that are strung out over hundreds of miles and only 300,000 citizens, I think, more or less. So for my history buffs, you all might know this country as the home of the World War II, a naval base called Espiritu Santo. Although I should say for my fans of Broadway shows, you might know this country and that base as the setting for the musical South Pacific. But I'll tell you, times 
boy, have they changed since then. Vanuatu has fallen for what I described earlier as the China debt trap diplomacy. Reuters News Service reports that Vanuatu owes Beijing around 130 million bucks in debt for various infrastructure projects. Now, the, the country's leadership says that really they had no choice. Here's a quote. We are an independent country and we couldn't wait for American or Western grants to eventually show up. All right. So they say they had to take China's loans, right? Well, Vanuatu is being a little bit cheeky here because according to the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia, Vanuatu had no problem with taking another grant, but this one was from China. And it went to remodel the prime minister's house and a number of government offices to include the building where parliament meets. All right, now I should be fair here. The Biden administration is trying to slowly muscle its way back into Vanuatu's good graces. The State Department is building a new embassy there after a 30-year absence. But for now, let's give China a win on the scoreboard. They definitely have Vanuatu, certainly by the wallet. All right, that leads us to, well, a handful of small island nations that unfortunately can be fairly described as being on China's team, at least for now, and there are three more of them. So first, there's the country of Tonga, which sits far southeast of Vanuatu. It's a collection of 171 little islands, and no matter how beautiful it is, and it is, it's got a pretty ugly legacy that it has to deal with, at least according to the Associated Press and Reuters News. Tonga has about $195 million worth of debt, most of which it owes to China. And sadly, some pretty big payments are due next year. All right, so that's Tonga dealing with China's debt trap diplomacy. Let's move northwest of Tonga with our maps to the second sort of, well, troublemaking country, and that is Samoa. Now, that country is located right next door to the America Samoa, which is a U.S. territory, but unlike its neighbor, Samoa is not close to America. It's actually close to China. And that's partly due to that debt trap diplomacy. Samoa owes around 160 million bucks to Beijing, at least according once again to Reuters news service. Plus, interestingly, Samoa signed a trade deal last May under terms that, well, either are very secret or remained very vague, but include things like a police academy, a fingerprint lab, and other infrastructure projects. Okay, so of our three bad amigos so far, we've talked about uh, Tonga and Samoa, and we've got a third one, and that one is called Kiribati. Now, my history buffs might remember this little island country when it was called the Gilbert Islands before independence. And I'll tell you, as ever in this region, it's beautiful. 33 small islands and atolls and just 113,000 citizens, so lots of room to move. Well, unfortunately for the Gilberts, or Kiribati it is, as it is now called, that country has drifted pretty far away from the United States and pretty firmly into China's grasp. And that's because back in 2019, the president switched his country's allegiance from Taiwan to Beijing and very promptly got 66 million bucks for the effort. And since then, China has been intimately involved in local affairs in Kiribati to include securing an airstrip that sits about 1,800 miles south of Hawaii. All right, folks, we've covered a lot of islands so far in this battle for the Pacific. So let's recap where we're at on our scoreboard. Right? So on China's side, we've got at least five countries that are firmly or likely in China's back pocket. 
We've got the Solomons, Vanuatu, Tonga, Samoa, and Kiribati. And of course, we've got Papua New Guinea, or PNG. And as we talked about, they're sort of on the fence, but leaning ever so slightly towards China based on that trade and debt trap diplomacy. Well, that doesn't sound so good for America, does it? Hmm. Well, when we come back, we are going to talk about the friends that the U.S. has both in the North and South Pacific with three island nations in particular. So let's enjoy our first break of the morning. Please do enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners. And then in about a minute or two, we are going to continue with our special brief on the battle for the Pacific. Friends, I'm excited to tell you about Ark Seed Kits, like Noah's Ark. And here's why I'm excited. On The Right Report, we talk a lot about two things. We talk about your pocketbook and how to save you some money. We also talk about preparing for global events, like how we could find ourselves at war in Asia. Well, with Arc Seed Kits, you can address both of those concerns at once. The all-in-one seed kit helps you grow your own food for life. It has over 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables sprouting from 50,000 heirloom seeds. And let me tell you why that is so important. Heirloom seeds last year after year. Each crop helps you grow the next. But that's not true of 95% of most seeds that you buy. Those last only one year. That's why heirloom seeds from ARC Seed Kits are so great. It's a lifetime of food security. So go to arcseedkits.com. Again, that's ARC, like Noah's Ark, and buy your heirloom seeds today. And if you do, make sure you use promo code RIGHT, like my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, and that'll get you 10% off your order. So go to arcseedkits.com, promo code RIGHT, and invest in good food and a bigger wallet for life. Welcome back to The Right Report, ladies and gentlemen. Let's continue with our special brief this morning on the battle for the Pacific. And so as we once again grab our maps and we explore these many island nations, tell you what, in my mind, I'm already there on the beach under the palm tree. Well, what's not looking so good for the United States is that five of these Pacific island nations that we've talked about so far are not on our side. They've chosen more or less to side with China, but not to worry. The U.S. has our allies, too, which, just to remind us all about the seriousness of this, it is critically important that we have allies and friends in this region, all because if we imagine that a war ever were to break out in the Pacific Ocean with China, we would be in pretty desperate need for allies amongst all these tiny island countries. And so let's look at our allies this morning, or at least those nations that would likely side with us in the event of a war. And let's start with Fiji. Right? It's a country that, until recently, had been on China's side under, in fact, the previous uh, prime minister, whose last name was Bayanamarama. And then a new man came into office. His last name was Rabuka. But you might remember my briefs uh, when I used his nickname. What, do you remember? Rambo. Yeah, that's right. He took office last December and has moved pretty quickly to pivot his country closer to the United States and to the West, or, to be fair, as he often says, towards greater neutrality. In January, just as one example, he threw out the pro-China police commissioner in his country, and he ended the policing agreement with Beijing. He's also been purging the pro-China political party from Fiji's parliament. All right, so more or less, some pretty good news out of Fiji this morning. But beyond Fiji, there are two other fairly anti-China island nations in the South Pacific. There's a country called Tuvalu, which stands pretty strongly with Taiwan and against Beijing. 
The same can be said for the island country of Nauru, which also stands strongly with Taiwan. But there are three other Pacific Island nations that we should talk about that are the pro-American bloc in this battle for the Pacific. And those nations are Pulau, the Federated States of Micronesia, and the Marshall Islands. Right? And here's why these countries are so vital and very unique. Right? They've each signed an agreement with the United States called the Compacts of Free Association, or COFAs. And these are a big deal for ensuring America's security. And to understand why, let's actually dig into some history. So at the end of World War II, Japan lost their control over these three island chains that sit just north of the equator. Right? The United Nations then took over these countries or these islands with the idea that they would eventually become independent. And that began to happen in the 1970s and the 1980s. Now, when they did gain their independence, America got them to sign, well, these COFA agreements. And here was the exchange. So the United States would give them money each year, upwards of 35% of their national budgets, plus their citizens could travel and work in the United States and join our military. In return, the United States got basing rights for our military and virtually exclusive control over their foreign policies. So over the past 40 years, those compacts have worked pretty well for both sides, actually. Pulau and the Federated States of Micronesia have actually decided to sign back up, renew their COFAs. And as for the Marshall Islands, they will almost certainly sign back up as well. There's just a, a slight snag related to how much money they're supposed to get, specifically for the lingering costs of our nuclear weapons test that we actually conducted in the Marshall Islands back in 1946 to 1958. So, all in all, if we can get back to our battle for the Pacific scorecard, the United States can safely add six nations to its side, right? That includes Fiji, Nauru, Tuvalu, Pulau, the Federated States of Micronesia, and the Marshall Islands. Meanwhile, to recap China, they've got about five nations on its side, plus that indecisive Papua New Guinea who's sort of straddling the fence. So there you have it, my friends. We've got six for America and five for China. And based on that very close score, you can see why we here on The Right Report are going to be discussing this region a lot over the next number of months. Because as history has shown us, folks, what happens in these tiny places can have a very big impact on global history. And that could include families here in the United States if war with China were to ever come. Now, before I let you go this morning, we should ask one final question. If the score is so close, how can the United States do better and pull those nations away that are currently siding with China? Well, we're going to talk about that right after this next break. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go on this special brief. So how does the United States and our friends in places like Australia find a way to pull back those Pacific Island nations that are caught in the clutches of the communists in Beijing. Well, let me offer you my opinion and analysis for this final part of our special brief this morning, and I think it comes down to three things. So first, we have to physically show up, all right? America largely abandoned this region after the end of World War II, so going back physically, sending our politicians and diplomats and even celebrities that's a pretty important gesture of respect, right? And that's why China's leadership, including President Xi, 
has been, for instance, to a PNG or Papua New Guinea twice in the past five years or so. But unfortunately, as we saw in PNG, America's leadership didn't show up. Now, we can debate whether or not Mr. Biden should have gone, but the point is that he didn't. And as the prime minister of the Cook Islands correctly said, he and his colleagues throughout the South Pacific took notice, right? And that was terrible for trying to grow and cement our good relations. But to be fair to the Biden team, America is showing up in other ways, right? We're signing agreements, as mentioned this morning. Uh, We're also reopening embassies, and that's good. We're also bringing a relatively modest amount of humanitarian and military aid. In other words, we're bringing our checkbook. It's your money, and that matters too. And second, speaking of checkbooks, these countries throughout the South Pacific are increasingly indebted to China in that debt trap diplomacy. We see this throughout other places in the world, like Asia and Africa and Latin America, too. So I'm going to do a different, uh, separate brief on this issue of debt trap diplomacy. But the upshot is that I think that there are some creative ways to get these countries, well, if not debt free, at least to lighten their debt load in a way that doesn't burden U.S. taxpayers. But what I really want to focus on before we leave, what I want you all to remember is something that is of great, uh, well, importance to these countries. And we might not think of it as a big deal, but it is to them. And it has to do with fish. So let me share with you something that you might not know. So China's 1.4 billion people have an insatiable demand for fish, right? They consume more fish than any other country in the world, hands down, at 65 million tons annually. For comparison purposes, the whole of Europe is next at 13 million tons. Well, unfortunately, that's meant that they have absolutely decimated their own fish stocks along their own coastlines. So they're sending a massive fleet of fishing vessels around the Pacific and around the world. In fact, from Africa to Latin America to all these little Pacific Island nations, Chinese fishing vessels have descended out of those countries and those regions like a, an invasion of locusts. And that's not hyperbole, by the way. The New York Times did a pretty good piece on this issue. If you'd like to read more, it is entitled How China Targets the Global Fish Supply. By the way, if you don't want to read that, I understand. Let me just give you one piece of what I think is pretty shocking data from that essay plus other studies. China's fishing fleet now stands at 17,000 ships all around the world. Right, compare that to the next two nations, Taiwan and South Korea, and their vessels. Well, combined, they have 2,500. Again, compare that to 17,000 out of China. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that China is wiping out fish stocks globally after having destroyed their own. Right, and that is wiping out the livelihoods of hundreds of millions of average people around the world both local fishermen and their families, plus local economies that depend on these ladies and gentlemen who fish. All right, so that is your leverage, folks. Right, the U.S. and Australia should be teaming up to safeguard the world's fish stocks, especially in the South Pacific. In other words, to win the hearts and minds of the, these uh, average citizens in these countries. Because if you can do that and do it well, well eventually these citizens are going to become more engaged voters and force their governments to abandon Beijing. Now, what's heartening to see is that both Australia and the United States understand this. They, they get the fish issue. In fact, as you may remember from the top of today's brief, the U.S. signed a deal with Papua New Guinea 
that provides the U.S. Coast Guard to this country to support, well, patrolling of their waters, looking for these Chinese fishing thieves. So that's a good note to end on, isn't it? Your U.S. government, ladies and gentlemen, is doing something right. Hmm. How about that? And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.